Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Okay, so before I introduce the guest, I want to ask you guys a quick favor. I promise it will only take a minute. If you can please go to iTunes, give me a five-star rating, a short, short review, glowing, of course, would be preferable. I would really appreciate it. Today on the podcast, it is a real treat for all you Howard Stern fans out there. Admittedly, I am one of them too. I have been for a really long time. It's John Melendez, who's better known as Stuttering John. He spent a long time working for Howard, being a staple on the show. He was best known for those celebrity interviews, which sometimes, well, a lot of times went sideways, which is actually what made them really funny. When he left to go work for Jay Leno, he really shook up his life and the show. And the rest is kind of history. He's out with a new book, Easy For You To Say. It's a memoir of his life, and it spills a ton of juicy stuff about Howard, Gary, Artie, Jackie, the list goes on. He tells a lot of good stories in our chat and the whole story of his latest and maybe greatest prank so far, getting through to talk to President Donald Trump on Air Force One. All right, here we go. All righty. Welcome to the podcast. All right. I'm very excited. Um, I'm a huge Sturm fan. So uh, since, I mean, for a long time, since I was 14 years old and I'm old now. So <laughs> it's been many, many years. What year did you start again? I started in 1988. Yeah. So you st- I've been listening since before you started. Yeah. At the right old age of 11. Yeah, exactly. No, right. you, you were born when you were no, born. I, I, actually, I was still going to NYU. When I, I didn't graduate NYU until 89. 89. 89. You got that in. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. That was funny, which wasn't even chapter 9. <laughs> no, I just yeah. I put it in anyway. That was the best. Okay, so let's back up. So I always start by saying how I know my guests, and we just met, but Gretchen Bonaduce introduced us, and I was yeah. very excited. She said, you had a book coming out. Yeah. I said, absolutely. I love him. I love the Stern Show. I'm totally into it. Yeah. So I read your book. It's fabulous. What? Pr- let, let's get the plug in right away. Say the name of it. Oh, easy for you to say is, is <laughs> called, and it's out today in bookstores everywhere, and it's available on Amazon. And I was very happy to see I was number one on Amazon in general broadcasting books, number one bestseller. Now, I had to screenshot that because now, since then, I think it dropped a few, but so what? Uh, (laughs) So what? Yeah, I was in the top 20 on iTunes for my podcast for like a minute and a half, and I screenshot it. I'm like, top 20 on iTunes. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Who knows what the algorithm is, right? It's so bizarre. Yeah, it really is. Because, like, one day it'll say number one, and the next day it'll. Yeah, you're like, where's my book? Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really great read. And for those of us like me who have no time to read and it feels like a chore sometimes, this is such a fun, It's it's it reads like you sound, like you're talking to, like yeah. almost like an audiobook. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of like, look, listen, you know, that kind that of. That was my yeah. goal. I didn't want it to sound like, you know, like, put it this way, I wrote this one. Unlike Artie Lang, who has somebody else do all all the work. Boom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is all me. You know, I it's just me, and it's my stream of consciousness, and it's and it's my memory, and I try to make it all just you know just just sound like me. Yeah, and know? it does. And you definitely will will kind of methodically walk through it, but you definitely drop a lot of bombs. Like I was, and I know I listened to your podcast with Trump, which we'll get to later. And you did say at one point about the book that you were ready with lawyers. Like if Howard or anyone else came after you, have you had any fallout since you published? Well, not yet. I like, I checked 
I think, yeah, I checked the mail today. I'm waiting to get, like, I'm waiting to be served. But you know what? The problem Howard's going to have is that there is not a, one lie in the, like, in the book. And my memory, because I'm OCD, is impeccable. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, the house number, this is 4167. Is that correct? Yeah. Oh, my God. See, I, I remember everything just, and it's, wow. so that's why everything is down to, like, you know, I don't, you know, and and a lot of the stories can be, corroborated by a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the staff there. Well, and nothing seen, I mean, I will say nothing shocked me. It was sort of like shocking, but not shocking in terms of like everything was consistent with kind of what we know and who we know. I wouldn't say there was anything that absolutely surprised me other than Robin slipping you tongue, but, but I, <laughs> yeah, I, but she still, <laughs> she still denies it. We, we, uh, we had this argument on the air. I, I, I still, I still maintain that she did, but she, but she um, emphatically denies it. But either way, it was a great kiss. Yeah, yeah it was nice. I, mean, I was always close with you know Robin until the end, until she, until she betrayed me at the end. But, yeah, and that again was not surprising. I mean, I guess what's surprising, and I mean, we'll go through it. But God, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start because I yeah, mean, I no, listen, I, I listen every day still, and yeah. so I've seen the evolution. I listened to the evolution and the cast of characters change and all that, and obviously the show and Howard have changed so much throughout the years. But I would say. As an observer and as a reader of the book, the the most salient thing that I took away from it is that you're really conflicted about Howard. Yeah, just like I was about my father. See, that's that's the weird thing. Like my father, and you know, you know, beat us up one day, and then the next day he was this great guy who told those stories and 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 a guy who would make us laugh. So I I was conflicted, and then then I go to the Stern, and it's the same exact thing. Here's a guy who I looked up to. And I, you know, I think he's incredibly talented. And then, you know, one day he'd be super sweet to you and like, you know, and then the next day he'd be calling you a loser and, you know, and, and telling you to abort your kid because you're not fit to be a father. Yeah. So. I cannot, that part actually upset me because it also happened off mic, right? Like, no, that happened on, on the show. Didn't it also happen off? No, he did it? it to me on the show and then he did it to my w- to wife. Uh, on on the birthday show, both oh, on the air. Okay, okay. But you know that's the thing, and like, and there's something in the book that, you know, I I, I might be in there. I you know you you know you forget because because you write so many pages. But um, people would always ask me, John, is Howard a uh, a good guy off the air? And I'd say he's a great guy off the air. And they go, oh, so on the air is all an act. I say, no, off the air is all an act. Yeah, that <laughs> actually was the biggest bombshell of the book to me. Yeah. I was, I, that stopped me in my tracks because I've always thought that the nice off the air Howard is the real Howard. And you're saying the asshole Howard is the real Howard. Yeah. The 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 asshole Howard, I mean, the guy that would, would go off, that's his real, I mean, he believes everything he's saying. Like, that's why, like, I don't want, off the air, you know, he'll be nice and, you know, and respectable, but like, I like you know put it this way like see this is where Howard and I differ if if I'm off like you know if I'm just hanging out with like a friend or whatever and you know and they do something bad to me or whatever they you know I'll I'll call them out immediately and I don't need a microphone to do that Howard is too afraid to do that until he has the microphone then he'll call you out you know and that's that's the difference I mean so he's hiding behind it yeah he's afraid to be himself until the mic is in front of him you know so I mean not to put too sharp a point on it but like are you basically calling him a phony um like because is, is you're basically saying no a, I, I'm uh, saying he's 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 no he, no I'm talking off real life Howard like the Howard that you knew that you hang out with in the Hamptons oh, no that- I don't think he's a phony I think he's see see you know he's a nice guy 
he's not like a phony. Like, like even on the air, he could be a nice guy. It's not him being a phony. It's just more of him afraid to be himself off the air. So, like I'm saying, like, you know, if you're just hanging out with him, um, you know, having dinner, I mean, th- there's nothing that to piss him off about. So he's not going to be. But what if there was? Like, what if you said? That's, I guess, what I'm really curious about. What if you said something that would piss him off? Would he call it? Would he call you? That's out what I mean. It? He wouldn't call it okay. out until okay. he gets back. Until he gets on the air. That's interesting. So he's more okay. of a pussy <laughs> than a phony, right? But I feel like he admits that, right? I mean, I feel it's like the thing about Howard is that he's pretty damn honest about his flaws. Well, he's honest to what to what benefits him. Like he's not gonna like like the stuff where I talk about him blocking Artie from getting you know the the, the job at CBS to to replace he won't fess up to that Craig Kilborn he's never gonna admit to that I mean and Artie told me that and you know and you know and that's why when Artie you know when I first because um, Artie's the first person I told that I was leaving the show Artie had had suggested that I um, tell Howard. And and my um, answer to that was I don't want to do that because then Howard will call Jay, he'll beat up Jay, and then Jay will get cold feet, and then I'll I'll be out two jobs or or at least Howard will always be pissed at me at you know if I stayed there. So and you were right. And so Artie didn't didn't you know didn't agree. But then when it happened to Artie, like and when we were on Artie's podcast and Artie was saying, oh, all I'm saying, John, is that you should have told them. I said, Artie, uh, don't we both have a mutual friend? And obviously I was talking about Artie that uh, Howard did <laughs> uh, block from getting a, a network show, uh, you know, on late night. And, and then Artie goes, all right, that's right. I forgot about that. So, <laughs> so that's why, I mean, every story could be corroborated. Howard is not going to want to admit that, but I don't think he's going to want to admit the picture where I have in 2012 where Howard's in front of a a screen at a getting things done seminar for his staff where he's telling staff members to set up fake Twitter accounts to solicit guests. I mean, you have to understand something, Lisa. This is the Howard that the old Howard that I worked for would goof on. If John DeBella did this or Mark and Brian or the Grease Man, any of his, you know, radio competitors did something like that, he would goof on them. Howard walks down a hallway. No one's allowed to approach him. Doesn't he have a separate hallway? Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's a David Letterman thing that he would goof on. So he's not going to cop to that on the air. In fact, no. when any when anyone brings up Marcy Turk, he actually just, he he will never actually ever say her name hardly, right? No. And I know things about her too that I didn't So let's even, get into that. So let's, I didn't even put in the book her- uh, I, You didn't put enough about that in the book. You know, her meetings with HR. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, wait. So back Well, put it this way. She married a staff member. Who'd she marry? Uh, Steve Brandano, or one of those guys. Oh, really? What you know? One of them. One of them. She didn't marry, but I know that she was. Uh, let's just say that. Um, wow. You know, uh, I know she had. Uh, th- th- they were more than just friends. How about Ooh, that? Oh, come on, give it. Up. Now, I I can't remember the name. One is Steve Brandano, but I don't know the other one. But you don't think they're married? You think she hooked up? Whoever with Steve she, Brandano. if she's not married to Steve Brandano, then she got. Oh my God, this is crazy. Okay, she was so- called to HR twice. That's. I got from another corroborated source. Okay. Two. So this is where Marcy and Howard, they're going to have a big, big problem in proving that I'm wrong. And the other thing is, if Howard did come out to sue me, he's only going to help me sell more books. <laughs> right. So it's like- He I'm, knows that too. He's savvy enough. Oh to yeah, that. he yeah. is. And you know, like here's the weird thing. And as you know, and, and as you said in the beginning of this podcast, Lisa, I am conflicted. 
because I'm incredibly grateful. And I love Howard. I do. I mean, he we've had some great times in the Hamptons. I love Beth, his wife. And, you know, we really have had, you know, super cool times. But then you cut to the guy that will berate you. You know, they won't pay you. The guy who doesn't come to your wedding. The guy who doesn't appear in your MTV video. The, you know, the guy that won't let you write a book. I mean, well, actually, it's, I, I want to break that down for a minute because I think that's a really important distinction, that even within the things that you just said, because there's ha- Cranky Howard who doesn't write want to write an intro for a book, who doesn't want to come to weddings, who's like antisocial and has his shtick. Right. But then there is I think there's an important distinction because that's like, OK, fine. That's just his thing. But then there is the one that won't get you a raise or go to bat for you. That, you know, you can even see the bullying on the air as a shtick. But but it's the off the air stuff like not letting you get other jobs well, and not 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 paying yeah. you enough. That to me was actually kind of shocking because and disappointing, to be honest. Well, look, I mean, for any Stern fan, you know, and this is this is the uh, God's honest truth. And again, could be corroborated by Jackie, the joke man. <laughs> is that a real good corroborating witness, though, John? Hey, all you need is all you need is two. Right, and he's sober now, so we can believe him. Yeah. And but no, but it, this is well, I mean, it's it's definitely true because I can show you my paychecks. Yeah. But um, I, I believe you. Yeah. Uh, when the E-Show came about, Don the douchebag buck. Oh, yeah. We got to get into it. Oh, my God. The, the, talk about bullies. I mean, they, you know, Howard and Don are like the Sith, you know, the two evil people. But but Don, um, you know, called me and said, you know, we're going to do an E-Show. We're going to pay you 200 a week, 10,000 a year. That is for five shows a week. You break it down. That's forty dollars a show. Oh my god! And and, and Gary, they offered fifteen thousand a year, and Jackie twenty five. Now, when Richard Bosch, Don Buckwall's henchman, came to the uh, jock lounge to have me sign the contract, he gave me it, and I had already talked to my attorneys, my entertainment attorneys. They said, John, we understand that you don't want to you know, make waves because after all, you all working for the firm here. <laughs> but, um, you know, just ha- ask him to fax the contract over. So I I said to Richard, all right, look, I'm going to sign this, but could, could you just fax it to my attorney so they can take a look at it? Richard, put, put, put it back in the manila envelope, never faxed it to my attorneys, and I was off the e-show. Wow. Now, that is called bullying. That is called, okay, you're not going to do what we request, then you're off the show. So now I had to go, and I'm a kid. I'm, tw- what, 22, 23 years old. I have to go to Howard's office and apologize to him for asking to have the contract um, faxed to my attorney. Apologize. And then Howard said- Why did you have to do that? So I can be back on the show and and then I would get my, you know, that'd be because that's- Oh, back on the radio show. Well, back on the e-show. But the problem with that is the e-show was the radio show. So so in other words, you wouldn't even want to go in there because you know that wasn't going to be used for- But this is the kind of bullying that they would do. And- and 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 when I apologized to him, he goes, "Yeah, John, you should stop listening to Jackie. You know, Jackie's a troublemaker." Now, we're, I mean, that whole thing with Don and Howard to just do that. Jackie didn't accept the contract at first, and they actually built the wall around Jackie so he would not be seen on the E show. Oh wow! Now, when we were offered these salaries, Jackie and Gary and I were in the jock lounge, and we were all commiserating about the shitty pay it was. I don't know. Can I curse on this podcast? Oh, we we encourage it. Okay, and and 
you know, Jackie was just going, hey, we should all just walk out, you know. Carrie went to Howard and told him that Jackie was trying to, uh, you know, you know, do a walk off or, you know, uh, create problems. This is the kind of this is why I call Gary Baba backstabber, <laughs> because I mean, like, don't throw, Gary, you were just as upset as Jackie was and as I was. Stop pretending that, that you know, it's, it's he's such it's so sad that Gary is that kind of person. But talk about phony. Gary. Yeah, you have no respect for Gary. No, because even after I left, like Gary would call me, ask me if I want to do have my own show at Sirius or if I wanted to come on Howard. Oh, really? And and you know, and it'd be all nice to me and like as if he cared how are the kids and all that. And I would get friends who were at the Stern Show at the time, uh, who would say in the in in the breaks, he goes, you know, they say, John, Gary's not your friend. He trashes you every single day to Howard. And I was like, wow. Here's a guy that calls me and, and acts like my friend, but is not. And he, and he goes and trashes me all the time. So, yeah, a, a lot of people say I sound bitter. It's, it's not about being bitter. It's like I'm, I'm a real dude. I'll tell you how it, you know, how, how it is. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm unfiltered. You know, Gary's just the opposite. Gary does everything to cover his big ass, just <laughs> like he did with the story that I have in the book where, uh, you know, this is another – this is the prime – you know, you know, if I had to have one story that defines Gary, this is it. Because after Gary had, had thrown me under the bus so many times, uh, Howard stopped doing the plugs, the national plugs. Now, Gary and I needed that to supplement our income because we were making shit money. So Gary goes... The uh, plug, just so people are clear, the plugs yeah, for you to do your comedy tour. Yeah, or appearances. Or, appearances, yeah, right? yeah, or whatever. So, so Gary goes, hey, John, you know, why don't we email Howard and ask if he could do a couple to maybe two or three live a week because you know so we can make this extra money that we so uh you know need so I go no 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 guy because I know what's gonna happen we're gonna send this email and then you're gonna say it's all me no John I promise I'm not gonna do that so I buy into it because I need the money so we email he goes we'll email it from my computer my email address I'll write it. All you, all you do is hit enter. So it's like we're both doing it. I go, fine. Week later, I don't hear anything. Casey comes out of the studio. Casey Armstrong, you know, one of the staffers, comes out of the studio and he goes, hey, John, they're talking about you in there. I, I go, they're talking about about what? He goes, about that email that you sent Howard asking him to do plugs. I go, yeah, and what did Gary say? What? He said that you sent the email. <laughs> Gary totally threw me under the bus. So when Gary came out to you, I go, you fucking did it again to me. Again, you freaking didn't say it was from you too? Oh, come on, John. It doesn't matter. I go, yes, it does, Gary. This is the exact thing you agreed to, on that you would not do. So, so is that just Gary with you or is that Gary with everybody? That's Gary with everybody. So, so then it's, three it's, all, hours, Howard, it's all about being loyal to Howard. At y- the end. Yeah. So then three hours later, like Gary calls me and goes, all right, I talked to Howard like at three in the afternoon and I told him that, that the email was me too. It's too late. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Howard already has that image of me. You know, and, and we don't know if that even really happened. Yeah, we don't even know if he said it. And if he did, like, you know, he could have said, I, I kind of helped him write it. You know, or I, who knows how, a, you know. But, yeah, Gary covers his ass. In fact, I had Steve Grillo, who was, you know, who was a staff member on my podcast today, the Stuttering John podcast. He, he like, I asked him, you know, how, how, you know, you know, how many times did Gary throw him on the butts? He goes, I lost count. I mean, that's what Gary does, and he does it to everybody there. Me, Jackie, Grillo. Just, he, he's, it's just amazing. He has no conscience. 
So, uh, so I, you know, so I talk about him at length, like, you know, in the podcast, I mean, in the book and, 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 you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm candid. I mean, I'll always love the guy. I mean, you know, I was, you know, as soon as he had his kid, I was there. I went to the hospital. I love his wife, you know, Mary. And I even organized a whole choir to sing at his wedding. And we did a shower of the people where I play guitar and I got this uh, gospel choir to sing it. I mean, I, I mean, I've done a lot for the guy. And, I, you know, I'm the one when we were getting $750 at appearance. After I did an appearance where it was packed, 10,000 people for $750, I said, I go, yeah, look, we're going to raise our price to 1500 He goes, hey, but John, but then, you know, I might get work. I go, no, we'll get to 1500 Trust me. And, of course, you know, we did. And I, I must have made him how much. I hooked him up with the stockbrokers and all these, you know, or he would make $20,000 a trade. You know, I've helped the guy. And what does he do? He just stabs you in the back any given chance. When's the last time you talked to him? Uh, about a year ago when Artie had one of his recent bouts with, uh, heroin, uh, addiction. And I had heard that he was having heart surgery and I talked to Gary and here's the interesting thing that at the end of the call with Gary, he said, please don't say that you ever talked to me. And the reason being is what, you know, Grillo also said is because, that, uh, they sent out a memo out, Howard, to all the staff. It'll be frowned upon if you hang out with any of the former Stern staffers. I mean, this is the firm. And you think that's a Marcy Turk thing? Um, I think it's a combination of Howard and Marcy. I mean, look, it, the, you know, when one of the serious executives was was asking, was fighting for uh, J.D. Harmeyer, he's one of the staff guys now, Fighting to double his salary from forty thousand to eighty thousand. He makes forty grand now. Well, no, he was okay. And then Tim, oh, can't. Well, whatever. I just said his name. Doesn't matter. <laughs> right. He uh, he said to <laughs> Howard, "Hey, man, you know this is going to double his salary. It'll make him happy." And Howard said, "I don't care about his happiness. I only care about my own." I mean, what the hell is that? I mean, you know, come on. Uh, you know, what's wrong with you? It's just, it just boggles the mind that, you know, like I said, the old Howard would laugh at this guy, would goof on this guy. And, and, and I will too. I mean, you know, Scott, the engineer, his wife's dying of cancer and Howard doesn't give him a dime. So Scott has to send up a GoFundMe page. And then he sets up the page. Mossy says that he can't talk about, he can't say that he's from the Howard Stern show. He can't say that he's Scott, the engineer. Scott does the GoFundMe, gets to 50 grand to try and help his wife who eventually died. Uh, you know, God rest her soul. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then not only, uh, you know, was Scott moved to another floor in the building because Howard and, and Marcy were very upset that he embarrassed them by doing this GoFundMe, but they wrote Scott out of any scripts. Like he'll, he'll, But isn't he not with the show anymore? He is, but he'll never be allowed on the radio again. It's so weird that they never mention it. It's just, it's... Well, it's, it's, it's a it's bizarre creepy. administration. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost as bizarre, it's almost as, bizarre as our, <laughs> All right. our, Don't our get presidential crazy, John. administration. <laughs> Don't get crazy, John. All right, back to Artie. There's so much to cover, but let's just... You brought up Artie. So I, I told you I have a, a brief history with Artie. So back Would you date in, him? Yeah, he and I were, were steadies. We were engaged. I'm... I'm uh, what's his, what was his girlfriend? The one girlfriend he had? The whole the, What, Dana? Dana, right, Dana. But you now, have after Dana? No, no, I'm kidding. I've never dated Artie. Come on. Oh, okay. Give me more credit than that. All right. Um, so no, back in, oh God, I don't know, 2008 maybe. Yeah. Um, 
when Artie was at the height of his addiction, yeah, uh, we tried to do a show with him at my old company in Philadelphia, and a I comedy got, show. No, it was called Saving Artie Lang. Uh-oh. So Alicia Lane, who you've probably met over the years, she was she used to date Booker back in the day, uh-huh. or maybe it was after you. So she introduced us. So I meet we uh, me and a colleague we meet him at um, Del Frisco's, which is you know like underneath Sirius, and he's so wasted, he's got like his head in his crab cake basically. And we're like, hey, listen, we want to do like a document, like a, you know, a documentary show about your life. And he's like, well, if you think you can find something good. OK. So we basically go with him on his little private jet to Syracuse for the weekend. I was like some, you know, a little kind of casino place. Long story short, he we were up like 24 hours for three days. You know, he was like on, sober, but not like on the subutex. It was one of those where he was like coming off the heroin, but he was yeah. on other drugs to keep him. So he had ma- massive anxiety. And he had those two guys that were trying to keep him clean. They were like his what? sober buddies, Mike and Joe. OK. And uh, and and it was a great tape. I, I'll find it somewhere. I'll show it to you. It was everyone wanted it. And, and he goes on the air. I remember we taped it talking. Howard, should I do this? They're offering me, you know, 300,000 an episode. No money was being offered to him at that point. Yeah. We had never spoken about a single thing. Yeah, he yeah. lies all the time. He does lie. And he had me just crazy. He One day he's signing the contract. Next day he's not signing the contract. I mean, weeks would go, you know, and he would just, he was fucking, and like you said, I think he changes his number every five days. Yeah. So I try to reach him. I couldn't reach him and try to reach his mom or his sister. And it was like, this is like classic addict, erratic yeah. addict behavior. And then like three weeks later, he stabs himself 19 times. I'm yeah, like, well, that would have right. been a good season finale. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so you never broadcast never the show. Never did it. It was, it was, it was like the, the, the show that never sold because it, we couldn't. And he was a mess. And honestly, I, it, it was, I went through so many emotions with him where in certain moments I was like, I love this guy. He's such a sweetheart. And other moments I'm like, wow, he's really horrible person. Yeah. And, uh, and I wasn't sure if it was the addiction speaking. So you kind of went through the gamut with him too. Yeah. Well, that's why I have the, uh, his chapters called, uh, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the heroine. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because already it could be the sweetest, big hearted guy, generous, and then be a monster. But do you think stopping right there with the generosity that that is that's a way to get you where he was? Like, do you think that that's just a big heart, or do you think it's manipulative? That's what I couldn't figure out because he was greasing my camera guy, and I'm like, I also thought that was rude. Like, I'm working just as hard as my camera guy. Give me money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have taken it, but you know what I'm saying. No, I know. Like, it was very misogynistic too because he was like a guy, you know, my yeah. DP well, was he a is guy. Misogynistic. Totally. Yeah, but um. Artie, you know, he's got his demons. He blames himself for his father's death, and and and, and it doesn't seem to ever go away. You know, um, it, yeah, he, you know, it, he's generous, but he's not. Like for instance, I'll give you one example. I'll give you a bunch of examples. <laughs> the, the the biggest one is he told me he gave Scott the engineer fifty thousand dollars. Oh, when his wife was dying. Yeah, he didn't give him a dime. He gave him five thousand, which is still generous. Right, but he has to lie. He's he a has compulsive to lie, liar, yeah. you know. But then I had heard that you know that he once then, you know, they did a charity for Scott and 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 Hardy never gave Scott any the money. <laughs> oh my god! You know, uh, but um, you know, like with me, I, I was going through the divorce and 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 I was like deep in attorney fees and. You know, I I was uh, I was doing a refi in my house and and I and I was talking to Artie on the phone and he goes, "All right, John, how am I?" I said, "I got to get my lawyer two thousand this week. I don't have it right now." He's like, uh, 
Oh, John, I'll give it to you. Don't worry. And I, I go, all right. He goes, yeah, and you don't have to pay me back, and I'm, and I'm never going to mention it. Within a week, <laughs> he's telling everybody that he lent me 2000 and that I never paid him back. Wow. And, and it's just like, you know, he just fucking betrays you left and right. I mean, and, and you can't believe him. But, but this is an addict, you know? Right. And I think he wants you to be beholden to him so he has something. Because he has nothing otherwise. Think yeah, about I'll, it. I'll All he me. has is his money. Yeah, but I paid him back. I don't think he has much money left either because he's doing, like, he went from doing casinos and big theaters. He's doing, like, the Holiday Inn. Right. I mean, and I'll tell you why. He's banned from most theaters because he's canceled on so many shows and right. cost the promoters so much money. And also something that you alluded to in the book, which I'm not afraid to say publicly, is his stand-up sucks. I think he's was amazing on the air. He was incredible. But I thought I don't like his stand up at all. And, and and by the way, he's so quick off the cuff. When I hung out with him, he had me stare like yeah. crying, laughing. But yeah. I think his stand up sucky. Well, that's the thing, and that's the thing that like you know another uh, you know misnomer. Like Artie trashes me for my stand up, and you gotta understand something, Lisa. I didn't. I started doing stand up uh, when my daughter was born, which was two thousand, the year two thousand. I always wanted to do it, but I was afraid that I would stutter on every punchline. So, you know, I finally had an epiphany. I'm like, I, if I could ask celebrities about their bowel movements, I can get on stage. <laughs> and I did it. So when Artie first saw me, I was in my first year of doing stand-up. So now cut to 18 years later, and yet he's still he, he's never seen me do stand-up, but he'll still trash my stand-up. And in my eyes, I'm like, Artie. You know, you are in no position to trash anyone's stand-up. And, for instance, Doug Goodstein, uh, Richie Wilson, Brian Phelan, all old E-guys, e they saw both of us do stand-up. Uh, uh, Doug and Brian, well, uh, you know, Richie was like, I, I can't believe how great you were. Um, but Doug and Brian said, John, we saw Artie and we saw yours. You were way better than Artie. And that's why, like, an Artie sits there and trashes me on my stand-up. I'm like, you haven't seen me. I know I'm better than you because you can't even I – mean, he can't even get through a sentence anymore. Right, and he's so insecure. I mean, he's a hot mess. Yeah. So the comedy thing, I'm realizing, like, this is the most inside baseball interview ever because, base, I mean, I hope more than just Sturm fans will listen. But let's, like, kind of back up um, when you said you were joking about how you – if you can ask celebrities about the bowel movements, yeah. you can do stand-up. So you started on the Stern show and kind of fell into the whole celebrity interview thing, right? Yeah. So, like, how did that even happen? Well, the truth is, you know, when I was um, uh, fourth or fifth grade, the, the teacher wrote on top of my you know, report card. I gave it to Howard for his book. And it said, uh, John tends to ask outrageous and penetrating questions in class and stutters when excited. <laughs> and, and it's true because I would ask girls if they had hair down there yet because I was insecure because I didn't. And then when I was at the human sexuality s seminar in sixth grade with all the boys and our dads, um, after you know, when it came to the Q and A time, I started asking questions like, "How many holes does a girl have?" And you know, where's the G spot, which I still have yet to find. Right, you'll find and, it one day. And, yeah, and and <laughs> and then all the boys started handing me their questions, and I asked every single one. And all the dads were laughing except my father. <laughs> he had his head in his hands, um, like completely embarrassed. But the truth is, I never had a problem asking questions. So when I heard Mitch Fatel, my predecessor on the Stern Show, do the interviews. I said, shit, that's my job. I know I, I would be great at that. So I already knew that. So when I started on the Stern Show, I didn't ever tell them. 
I just waited for the day that they came up and asked me to do the interviews, which they did, and it was Danny Glover and Carly Simon, who Carly Simon happens to be a fellow stutterer. But, right. Yeah, and, and but I did the interviews. I stuttered through the whole thing. <laughs> I thought I failed. And then I brought it back, and Howard thought it was a masterpiece. Was that Did that start Big Fan, Big Fan with that first interview? Because that was like how I always remembered you. Yeah, Big Fan, Big Fan came from <laughs> because... I, I was I was I never hated these people. Right. I, I really did. So it was genuine. You were actually a fan. Oh yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But and I felt bad if I upset them. I, <laughs> like, which is why I always had to shake their hand at the end. Because to me, it was just doing a comedy bit. You know. Yeah. And in your book, it's funny. You have peppered in all the pages the, yeah. the questions that you ask people. Which is hilarious. I mean, the rich the um, Richard Gere Dalai Lama interview. I, I I remember talking about that for years. Yeah. Your favorite. Your famous line. Yeah. I asked the Dalai Lama, "Do people go up to you and say hello, Dolly?" Yeah. <laughs> And that that was brilliant. The best. Yeah. And Richard Gere was really pissed. Oh, he's like, when I tried to interview him, he was like, you're crazy, man. You know? <laughs> Thank you. But like John Amos, you know, from uh, Good Times, he yeah. was the best. He was at a softball thing and he's holding a big softball bat. And I'm terrified and I'm stuttering like crazy because like in one of the questions now would be considered really, you know, a racist question. I didn't know at the time, but I didn't write them anyway. But it was... Uh, <laughs> Do you think uh, two live crew are talented or just another bunch of troublesome blacks? Right. You know, and I couldn't get through the question. And John was just like, let me ask you a question. How the fuck did you get this job with a speech impediment anyway? <laughs> and it was so funny. You know, so I could take it. I, and of course, I laughed. Like, Joan Rivers had the best response. Yeah. I said, Joan, do you think ugly people should be allowed to have children? And she, just, and she said, no, and I told your mother that. It's the best. She's the, uh, she was great. She was a friend. You yeah, know? she became a friend. So, well, I mean, weren't you with Melissa on "I'm a Celebrity"? Yeah, get me I'm out a celebrity. Get me out of here. Harvard and Melissa, you know, sent me a like a thing of flowers to congratulate me. As did Ozzy and Sharon. I love that. So this podcast is reality, reality, and we yeah. talk to everybody and all kinds of sort of like unscripted stuff. So, so it relates to to cele- "I'm a Celebrity." Get me out of here. How did that that show happen? While you were still on the Stern Show, right? Yeah, I did that. You got to remember something, Lisa. I was trying to do anything I could to get out. I wanted out so bad. Right. That was a common theme in the book. Yeah. Like like I did Wing. I was co-starred on Wings, you know, even though Howard wouldn't even read the plot. I mean, Wings paid for the advertising and Howard wouldn't read it because he felt they wanted him first and that they were using. Although when Robin did Prince of Bel-Air, he couldn't be more supportive. He's such a, it was. But anyway, um, so then they they offered me, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Howard had to think about it because he said him and Adam Carolla had the same idea and maybe. But anyway, he finally like let me do it. And look, it was a hundred over $100,000, which was more than I got for two or three years at the <laughs> right. time there. So I did the show with, uh, you know, so they, you know, and they, Dina Katz, she's the girl. Yes, this is a good story too. And this relates to more reality. Yeah, she produces. Um, well, she's a cast, with, so she's a casting person. Casting person for Dancing uh, you know, with the stars and, and, and a bunch of other, you know, reality shows. But she brought me on to be that asshole who, who she thought, like, you know, the stuttering idiot, you know, who's going to ask all the obnoxious questions. What she didn't realize, and, and again, I'm not to pat my own, to pat myself on the back, is that I'm just a nice guy. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a bad guy. So, so like the arc of that is I'm on this show and then suddenly like downtown Julie Brown and, and Melissa Rivers and Nikki's earring are all like, we can't believe how much we love this guy in such a short period of time. And even though I did ask him all the questions, I asked Bruce about his nose job. Bruce Jenner. Yeah, I asked, you know, Melissa about her breast, impl- breast implants and about if, you know, how was it to live in Jones, you know, shadow. I did all that, but not in a mean way. Right. And I was very accepted. And the whole time I'd be praying on the cot. <laughs> 
that we were sleeping on. I was like, I hope Jay Leno was making fun of this show and I could be a guest on the Tonight Show. And I made it to the last day, not based because I was playing for my friend in a wheelchair, a very small charity, the Spinal Cord Society. They were playing for, you know, Make a Wish, all these big phone banks, everyone calling in. I was getting real votes from Americans out there. Yeah. And I made it to the last day. And when, and when I got off, you know, uh, my wife greeted me. This was in Australia. And she said, I have a surprise for me, for you. You're booked on The Tonight Show tomorrow night. So that was You must like, have been flipping out. Dream come true. But why was that your dream? Why were you focused on The Tonight Show as a goal? Well, I, as a kid, as a Johnny Carson fan and, you know, and watching The Tonight Show, it was the only one in, in those days. Like, I always felt like if you... If you were on The Tonight Show, you made it somehow. Yeah. You know, you made it as a celebrity. And and was always my goal to be famous. So it was just like, wow. And then to go on there, I wrote the jokes in the town car and do so well. I just posted it. I saw it. It was a great interview. Yeah. And he was he was obviously really into you. Like, it was a great rapport. Yeah. And the executive producer right after that segment and a head writer offered me a job. Okay, so let's get into that. (laughs) So that must have been. Unbelievable. Yeah. Again, that was your goal. You're, and you also, you were dying to get out of the Stern show, but you also knew Howard was not going to have it or yeah. be happy about it. So you talked about this a little bit earlier. You sort of decided, I'm going to take it first, tell him later. So talk about what happened when you told him you were leaving. Well, first of all, let me just say about the Tenancia was like, it was like being at the right place. Right. You know, at the right time, doing the right thing. And I always, whenever I hear, hear the Eminem song, you know, Lose Yourself in the Moment, it reminds me of, of that appearance because that was my ticket out, you know, and if I did well, you know, the good things were going to happen. And Well, it's also like, this comes up a lot on the podcast, the saying yes thing. Like you said yes to a show that was like pretty much for the money. I mean, basically, but, but you would probably not have been as much on Jay Leno's radar. I mean, he probably knew you from the show because he listened, but as a TV personality, it all came from a celebrity. Get me out of here. That's where people like Howard, everyone, Oh, it's all the Stern show. The exec producer, Dave Berg, one of the um, senior segment producers, saw me on that show, and they fell in love with me. And that's that's why I got the appearance on The Tonight Show. And then when I did so well on Tonight Show, that got me the job. You know, I'm sure in the back of the mind they said, oh, you know, maybe we'll get some Howard Stern fan. But they were already well, number one. Like, they didn't need me. They didn't need you. So the, the thing is, so I remember this as a fan listening. And I remember sort of the big goof of it all was like, oh, my God, Stuttering John is going to be the announcer on The Tonight Show. Yeah, that's but, like entrusting Charlie Sheen with your Coke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was interesting. In the book, though, you didn't talk about it like that. It didn't. I always thought it was a goof, to be honest, that, that yeah. Jay was doing it as kind of a wink. But it really wasn't that. No. Like, he really wanted you as a personality on the show first, before you became a writer. Yeah. Debbie uh, Vickers, who I love, I said I had a secret crush on her. Yeah. And we hit it off. We were like kismet spirits. It's so fun. I never forget. We were in her office once talking. And she said, the only Howard Stern show that she ever listened to, I was on talking about how I cried over Made in Manhattan <laughs> with Jennifer Lopez. And she said, wow, I cried in that same scene. In that movie, too. And I think, that, like, we immediately knew that we were Kismet Spirits. I mean, she would send me so many nice things. Thanks for liveing up this show. Thanks for your energy. Thanks for your creativity. I mean, you know, you know, we had hit it off. So, you know, the, the, that whole experience was a great one, you know, for me. Jay was the complete opposite of a Boston Howard ever could be. And what In what ways? Well, Jay's door was always open. You could always talk to him. He would help you out. Not not like he ever had to do this for me, but he helped some staffers out when their family members were in the hospital. He would help them out emotionally and financially. Didn't he pay the whole staff when the whole thing happened with 
the 10 o'clock debacle. Wasn't there something where like he had yeah, to Yeah, what happened was when, no, when Jimmy Fallon was taking over, um, they, Jay's contract was up in September of 2014. They wanted Jay to leave in February of 2014 so they could plug Jimmy Fallon on the Olympics. And Jay said, okay, I'll leave as long as you pay all 150 staff members their full salaries up until September. So I got a six-figure payout. That's awesome. So, I mean, that's what Jay would do. Howard, not so much. And with Howard, do you think it's because he's just threatened? It's like this fly that just I know, and it's only bothering you, not me. It's like a little gnat. Yeah, because, you know, flies like to hang around with shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't shower this morning. <laughs> Uh-oh, they know. So with Howard, do you think that's, um, I mean, I always sort of diagnose that as just a really insecure person who's threatened by other people's success, which, again, he kind of admits to being like that. Oh, yeah. Like, even <laughs> when he did his book, uh, Miss America, and he finally you know, talks about his OCD, he said when he watched Jay Leno or David Letterman, he had to he had to start, like, if it's, if it's Jay, he'll start from Channel 5 and go down to Channel 4, just so, like, as if he's above them. <laughs> right. And I think, and listen, I maintain this, and I don't care what anyone says, although I think most therapists would agree with me. Howard got so mad when I did I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here because his reason was because I took off, off an extra week. That's a whole load, whole load of horse shit. What I think it was is I got national acclaim and, and, and love and acceptance nationally from people and celebrities and it's something Howard always craved, and that's why. And I and my proof is America's Got Talent. I highlighted that. I mean, I, I highlighted parts in the book, and that was a part. I thought that was spot on. Yeah. Because he admitted later that that's why he wanted to do AGT because like obviously he doesn't need the money, but he wanted that mainstream acceptance. Yeah, and that's what he thrives for. And and I think. And that's... do you think he's doing that now with all these celebrity interviews? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So talk about that kind of like. You mentioned that a few times. How the <laughs> trying to kill this fucking trying to fly. kill the damn fly. How the Howard now is like the Howard that he would have made fun of twenty years ago. Well, I mean, you know, I, I talk about it in my book, the red flag list. I mean, it's it's a list of things that's the, the, that that is sent out each year to the staffers of things they're not allowed to talk about. You know, you're not allowed to goof on Jennifer Aniston. You're not allowed to goof on uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, you can't. Uh, you can't mention Elliot often. You can't. Who uh, is that, by the way? He was like the uh, transvestite guy, whatever girl. He was a he was a lunatic. But there's so many things, you know. I mean, he changed. You know, you know, yeah, you know. Gary the retard is now Gary the Conqueror, right? And, and Wendy the retard is you know Wendy, Wendy the slow the adult, adult, which is cool. By the way, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. I mean, that's a good thing. But a lot of the things on the list is like you can't mention Chauncey Hayden. Like that, right. It's like all the things you can't talk about. You can't goof on Kathy Lee Gifford and like all these things. So it, it it's just, you know, like the old Howard would would be like the old Howard. Everything was there was nothing off limits. You could talk about anything, but not anymore. Now, here's another example. He sent this thing out and I saw the picture. I, although I couldn't post this picture because it was something that he paid for. And it's a picture of Howard in front of a, an apple, holding the core of an apple. And he's barefoot, and he's sitting in front of this big picture of the apple. And it's the core. And this is six bullet points that each staff member has to memorize. And Howard will quiz them every once in a while. What's, uh, uh, you know, bullet point number three? And they have to say it. And it's so douchey. I mean, 
It's really bizarre. So I feel like Howard's answer to all that would be, and he kind of talks about this when people call him out. And he and he, you know he has control over what calls he takes and everything. Of so, course he does, right? So he's ready for if he wants to answer, you know, people going after him. That you know, I'm allowed to evolve. People change, and you know, people that I hated back then, I don't hate anymore, and I'm allowed to. Is he not allowed to evolve? You had that fly, but you let it go. Were you I afraid know, to kill I, I, it? I was, it was like a soft kill, and it didn't work. It didn't take me. <laughs> what, were you afraid we're about We're outside, by the way, if nobody's figured that out yet. <laughs> well, I, no, I didn't know. Are you a PETA person? You, you didn't know, want to kill a fly? I'm definitely not a PETA person. <laughs> um, and I've killed many flies. Not proudly, but I have. Oh, oh yeah. I, I kill flies, although I don't, I don't kill spiders. Because, no, no, no. You have to let them outside. Because spiders, like, protect, uh, you know, kill the bad bugs in the house. Right. Flies just suck. Yeah. I hate flies. Anyway, <laughs> getting back to, um, so what were you saying? Oh, uh, about evolving. Evolution, yes. I don't, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with changing or evolving. What I have a problem with is shunning those that helped get you there. And that's, you know, me and Artie Lang and Jackie the Joke Man and Steve Grillo and Casey Armstrong. Shunning those that helped you get there. And, you know, like Steve Grillo told me on my podcast um, that the reason being why that that people can't talk to the old staffers is because it's a new show and they're moving on. You know, they want to erase the history of it's like it's bizarre. He even goes back and edits out things in in his reruns, you know, that he plays. Wow, that's crazy. I always thought with the Artie thing, it was more Howard was just freaked out. Like once Artie tried to kill himself, it seemed like Howard maybe even was scared legally to speak about it because he really does not, has not talked about Artie. Well, if he does, it. it's very brief. Howard enabled Artie. Right, and, and he knows that. And, yeah, and I think he feels guilty about it yeah. because they would let him sleep in the studio. <laughs> like like, like I would say to Gary, you think he would ever let you or I sleep in the studio? No. You know, he, well, it was fodder for jokes. Yeah, but he wouldn't, I mean, but no would, you know, although I, I do talk about the times that Gary would grab <laughs> Uh, the mystery get guest blindfolds when I was the only intern there and go, John, hold on the fort. And he would go take naps in the jock lounge. Right. And he claims he's only had like two naps ever on yeah, the show. Yeah. Which is such a lie. Cause, uh, cause Scott, the pace pulled the, him cause they have a camera in Gary's office now. <laughs> and he was napping then. That's awesome. <laughs> Do you think that Howard really thinks Gary sucks as a producer of that's, or is that a shtick? Well, I, well, I know as a fact they brought Marcy Turkin is because Howard was, uh, he was done with Gary's ineptitude. Didn't do anything though. Yeah, you know he he's, you know look I don't he doesn't, I don't know Gary's just an enigma. You know he's well he'll protect Howard. I mean that's ultimately why he keeps him, right? Yeah, probably. I mean I, I'm he's sure he a does buffer. a decent job, but he's not. He forgets things all the time, <laughs> and and you know he's I mean like 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 in the Gary's chapter I have a quote from uh, uh, Luis Castillo and the the old board op, and it's. You know, and it says, like, you know, he'll forget conversations that he did have and make up ones that he didn't. Yeah. You know, and that's just Gary, you know. I know we're bouncing all over the place, but just to kind of complete the arc here. So once you got to Jay Leno's show, you went from announcer to staff writer. You stayed till the very end. Yeah. And so that was a great experience. Is that did that make you want to do more writing? Like, where does that put you like like where did that put you in the last few years after Jay's show? Um, well, when I was at NYU, I, you know, I wrote all my films and everything and I've been writing comedy sketches since I was 10. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wrote stories. I would, I would shoot comedy movies on my super eight camera that I got for Christmas. I mean, I, that's what I always was into. So to become a staff writer on this night show to me is another big success. And, um, the, yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've written for the cream. Abdul Jabbar roast. I was only, I was the only writer on, on that. I wrote for Bill Walton and all the guys 
all the basketball players. I was uh, a writer on an executive producer on Stephanie Miller's um, show. Uh, you know, I, I I was a writer at um, at Bite Size TV, which is like an internet TV production company. I mean, you know, and you wrote your own, wrote and directed your own movie. I wrote and directed my own movie that I sold to National Lampoon. So cool. Yeah, and I wrote. Uh, uh, I wrote this book. Yeah, and but, you wrote this book. Yeah, but, which you're going to make into a movie. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you? who knows? You should. But so, yeah. so in terms of, um, oh wait, what's with Gotti? I we need to get to the bottom. I'm confused whether you were involved with this John Travolta Gotti or a different Gotti. I was involved with this John Travolta Gotti. <laughs> okay, let's tell it because you but, don't talk about that in the book, really. Well, I talk about when I. Uh, <laughs> I spilled pasta. Yeah, you met. Yeah, sauce all of his right. That his was jacket. funny. I, you, you don't do, but so like, did you? What? what what's the See, deal? Here's the thing. My friend Marco, who find who got the financing for my movie. Yeah, he got the financing for the Gotti film, and I introduced him to all the big agencies, CAA, ICM, because they all knew me from the Tonight Show. I had a three percent uh, stake in the movie <laughs> when Joe Pesci sued them. Well, I was on the Tonight Show, you know, for like some breach of contract, which turns out it was all bullshit. Wait, he was supposed to play Gotti? He was supposed to play the Gotti's, you know, a right hand man. And um, then what happened? Why did he end up suing? Uh, because be, because they didn't want him. I mean, he was okay. too old to play the part. Got it. And when when I saw the lawsuit and I saw how things were going, and my friend is very hot tempered and he would yell at studio execs. I said, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this. I don't want. I don't want the three percent. I just. <laughs> and can't you're never going to see that money anyway. I, well, I don't think they're ever going to see a dime on that movie. I mean, it got didn't it get zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, it 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 is. And you know, I saw it. It's not as bad as they say, but it's just the, the timeline moves so all over the place. It was directed by Kevin Connolly from um, uh, the Entourage. Oh my God, that's who directed it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, when I read about it in your book, I started doing a bit of a rabbit hole dive into mm -hmm. it and reading about John Travolta. And they said he's just he's bad. Like he's such a great actor, but that, like he's not even good in the movie. I don't think he was bad. I mean, but you know, I had dinner with him and Pesci. Right. You know, it was a lot of five. I said to Joe Pesci, I go, you know, Joe, it's because of you that so many people on social media call me a stuttering prick because of his because uh, of his line in Goodfellas. Oh, that's right. That's hysterical. <laughs> that's really funny. And then you used another, oh, another Joe Pesci line, which is um, from my cousin Vinny. So that brings us to the Trump story. Yeah. Because, right, Melendez Menendez. Yeah. Okay, now my brain is all over the place. Yeah, Calo Gallo. When, right, Yeah, yeah Gallo. Because we first called... The whole Donald Trump. Okay, let's tell the whole story. So start right. from the beginning. Well, what let me just you... you know. I'll tell you another funny, like you know, uh, Joe Pesci story. Okay, yeah. Is that he? Do you told do me... a Joe Pesci impression, by the way? No, but okay. <laughs> when that whole scene of him saying, you know, you know, how am I funny? Do I amuse you? Yeah. That whole scene actually took place at the Belmont Tavern, which is a great place that makes chicken savoy in New Jersey. It's a it's a big mob hangout. Joe Pesci was there, and he witnessed one higher captain, a mob guy, berate, uh, you know, a soldier, and and did that same thing. You know, I'm funny. How do I amuse you? And he picked that up, and and then went to Scorsese. He said, "I'm going to try something. Just you know, just keep the cameras rolling." And they did that. That's great. Is that in your book? Because I feel like I just heard that story. I think it is in the okay. book. Okay, I was like, "How do I just heard that story?" But anyway, um, it's a good story. Yeah. So what happened was we Googled. First of all, you know, we, you know, we were 
we were supposed to have Casey Armstrong as a guest, and he said he was too busy. On the podcast. Yeah, he said he was too busy, which is more unbelievable. That's hilarious. Which, which is more unbelievable than me getting through to the present that Casey is too busy. But, <laughs> but, 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 but so we didn't have a guest, and, and my friend Roy said, well, you know, let's just let's call the White House. So I go, all right, let's give it a shot. So we Googled the number. Well, wait, before you get into it, yeah. you have a history with Trump. So talk about that real quick. Yeah, I've had lunch with Trump. I uh, he's put me up at his hotel. I uh, I've had dinner with him. I've had you know I I had drinks with him at the NBC thing. He doesn't drink alcohol, but you know I think he had a Shirley Temple or whatever. He but flew on his jet. I, I flew on his helicopter. Um, so you know we have been friends. He's given me a he's given me sage real estate advice. You know, and in the those days, like I, I you know he was very nice to me. I never I I had nothing bad to say about him. What do you think when he ran for president? Do you think it was well? A joke? No, then it then it all turned to me because then you know the insulting and 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 bullying and and you know which is so you know ironic that you know you know Melania's big thing is to do an anti-bullying campaign. Yet if she's going to do anti-bullying, she so she should start with a fucking husband. But I mean, yeah. And did you think that? This Donald Trump that was running and that won was the same guy that you knew. Did it seem consistent? Like, did it surprise you? No, because he didn't really put anybody down when I was with him. But he did put AJ Benza down. Like, <laughs> wow, because they shared Can't a girlfriend. You know? Yeah, but that was about it. But you know, he, he, like I said, he was nice then. So, uh, so that's why when we call. So anyway, getting back to yeah, the call. Yeah. I call and I call as me. I go, hey, I'm stuttering John. Right. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm old friends with Donald. You know, John, John Melendez. And they hung up on us. So then, so then, we, so then Royce goes, let's just sit, call us Menendez. It's be, you know, it's like my cousin Vinny. Instead of Callo, we'll be Gallo. And I go, all right. So I call with this bad British accent, you know. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, hello, this is Sean Morse and Bob Menendez's assistant. They're like, who? I go, Sean is in Connery, Moore is in Roger. I'm a big Bond fan. As if, <laughs> as if I would fucking name myself. You know, and they go, well, the president's in... Uh, I didn't catch that till just now. That's yeah. hilarious. So they go, oh, well, the president's in Fargo, North Dakota right now. Like they right, They're me, giving you his location. Yeah, yeah they give me the location. Like, they, you know, they might as well give me his fucking latitude and longitude, right? So I give him my number, and then they call back. And they go, we have one question for you. <laughs> Why is your... You know, you have an 818 area code to your cell phone when you're a New Jersey... You know, you know, you're an assistant to a New Jersey senator. I go, because we're on holiday. They believed it. Like, let me ask you, Lisa, does your cell phone area code change, you know, when you go from state to state? I could not believe that. So then I'm in the car. I just couldn't believe how much they were indulging you, just trying to find out, like calling you back yeah. and asking, just, just want to verify your number. Like, what on earth? Well, I was blessed, <laughs> which I, I have in my book, like these Snyder ones, so that I have a charmed life, which I do. I, I think I was blessed because I didn't know this, but Senator Bob Menendez had just gotten off. Right. Just from, got acquitted. From criminal charges. Yeah. So, of course, since Trump is going to probably be facing his own criminal charges soon, he probably like was like, oh, he's calling me to. So Trump was probably eager to talk to him anyway. So That's the best part of the story about how he starts the call with you. But yeah. Anyway. So anyway, so then I'm just driving to date. And this all is in, <laughs> in less than two hours. Take a shower, which is even more unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I'm driving to a date. And... You know, and then Jared Krishna called me from Air Force One, <laughs> and he's like, uh, "Look, we can pull the uh, president now. He's in a meeting, or if you want, we can call you back." I'm like, "No, just call him back. I'm um, calling back." And then he goes, "Well, you know, what do you want to 
speak to him about it. I'll go. Uh, I pull this out of my ass. I go, well, we had a long conversation three weeks ago about immigration reform. I, I just need some closure on it. <laughs> That's I, amazing. Like, I'm the best bullshitter if, if I, you know, like on the spot, if I if, if I had to be. What was your reaction when you heard Jared on the phone? I, I couldn't believe it because, you know, I knew it was him for, the, you know, for that high voice. Hi, it's Jared. <laughs> and I love that Jared's basically a glorified assistant. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I mean, I didn't have to go to Jared. He came to me. But, <laughs> but anyway, so then, you know, I hang up and I call my friend Justin from New York because I don't know how, you know, you can't, you know, record on the iPhone. So then I, yeah, they, so then Donald Trump calls me and then, you know, he, he, he congratulates yeah. me on my acquittal and, <laughs> and then, and then I get into all policy about immigration reform and then his Supreme Court justice pick. And that's the thing that people say, oh, well, you're a comedian, like you should have made jokes. I didn't want to. I wanted to talk about key issues to me. Well, and you were perfect because you gave him just enough where like you didn't even talk that much to give up really that it was you. But again, he's so dumb he didn't even know. Yeah, I don't sound senatorial. I, I sound janitorial. Right. Janitorial, that's great. <laughs> but the best part is it was vintage Trump because there wasn't an ounce of substance in anything he has. He's like, you know, Bob, we're gonna we're we're looking at it and then there's things we can do and we can work together and it's gonna be good. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, it just proves just proves <laughs> that even when he thinks it's a private phone call, right. there's not an ounce of substance. Right. And he was nicer to you probably because you were a criminal or thought yeah, you were a criminal. Of course. Right. You know, You're, which so so is he, and so is his two fucking idiot sons, and Jared, and I mean, this is the most corrupt administration we've ever had. I mean, this makes Nixon look like uh, you know a Mickey Mouse. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's 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 been two years of hell. But you know, like I said, uh, you know. I did it as a goof. And, yeah. and then who knew? Well, so yeah, so talk about what happened after. First, it's like nothing happened, right? Like you were like, we at should- At first, nobody believed right. us. I was at my own pub, you know, a Pickwick pub in, in Woodland Hills. And, and you at my the local favorite- peasant? What? Were you at the local peasant? No, I was at Pickwick pub. But I have, I've been to the local I peasant. I love that place. What? Local peasant. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and, and my favorite bartender didn't believe me. And I, I'm like- I had the tape. I'm like, but they didn't me? think it sounded like. It sounds exactly like Trump. They didn't believe me, and and, <laughs> and, and a friend of mine they didn't believe me. So I'm like, wow. And then you know, so then I'm I'm dejected. <laughs> me and Royce were like, what the fuck? Like we just talked so, to Trump. So then I, you know, I called Adam Levy. Who is that? He's Daily just, Mail guy. You know, he, yeah, the Daily Mail. Okay. And I just said, hey, and and he, and he was like, well, you know, maybe we'll do something. So they reported it as a hoax. Like as a, you know that that you know it's, it was a hoax, but then Politico <laughs> okay. released the White House is scrambling to figure out how this comedian got in touch with the president. But how did polit like so the White House release the story because then? Because Politico had an insider in the administration who said they're trying to they're flipping out trying to figure out how to fuck this guy through. So then as soon as Politico acknowledged it, I was on the phone with Huffington Post. They then decided they would run with it, and then it became CNN, Fox, Inside Edition, was everyone CBS, calling NBC, you? everybody. I mean, I, I was on the news in Japan. <laughs> was and it fun? Denmark, England, France. Yeah, it was like, you know, it, like, you know. But then at, you were scared. As Royce said, it, like put it best, it said, I have three, I had two pillars in my life as far <laughs> as like, you know, an, entertainment success. The Stern Show was one pillar. The Tonight Show was another pillar. And now this fucking one show. phone call is a whole nother pillar. It's your Trump show. Yeah. The worst show of all time. The shit show. The shit show. Exactly. So then, but like you were scared. Yeah. So so the, now I'm on every, I'm on 1070 wins <laughs> out here. I mean, 1070 news and I'm on everything. 
Then my agent calls me, which is even more unbelievable. Than, <laughs> I love that line. Than, yeah. than getting to a Trump and says that the ticket service. Well, they already. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm going back up. After when we were on everything, Royce and I were at the at Pickwick and we're all freaking drinking and celebrating. When I get home, there are two kids up in the neighborhood and at my front door. And they said, hey, John, uh, p- two people in suits were banging on your door and they showed us badges. They said they were from the Secret Service. Oh, my God. And now God. I'm shitting my pants. I'm like, what the fuck did I do? So I looked it up. Apparently, you can't impersonate a public official for monetary gain, which I didn't do because my podcast is free. So they would have a hard time right. arresting me for it. But still, you know, now cut to my agent telling me that the Secret Service wants me to call them. I called them and I said, well, you know, they said that they wanted me to come down on Monday and talk to me. I said, "Okay, I'll be there. But do you want to interview me or do you want to arrest me? They said, well, we can't tell you that. Oh, my God. And I said, well, then should I get an attorney? They said, that's up to you. So now I'm like, shit. So I call Avenatti. (laughs) Okay, that's the best part. You just (laughs) brush over that in the book. What made you? I mean. Oh, Avenatti? Like, of all the lawyers, you just... Well, because he was on the news with Stormy <laughs> Daniels, I figured he doesn't like Trump. This Did is he know such who a... you were? Like, is yeah, he a Yeah, he guy? was a fan. I... Yeah, he was a fan, so he, like, immediately picked the phone. I mean, he... I mean, you know, we were talking on a cell phone. <laughs> I love it. And, and it's he... so perfect. Yeah, his office, I just, you know, call him on the cell. And, you know, he was so into the whole thing. And, you know, so then, you know, he, you know, he uh, called the Secret Service, <laughs> and he said, you know, uh, are you guys going to arrest him? They said no. He said... Will you sign, you know, after David saying that you're not going to arrest him? They said no. And he said, well, then you're not going to talk to him. And that was it. <laughs> and then it went away. It went away because because then Omarosa came out with her whole oh, thing. Thank and you, the Omarosa. Thing. Thank you, Omarosa. I know who I care. I don't know who I despise more, Trump or Omarosa. Uh, but just get them both out of here. So wait, so did you call, I forget, did you talk to Kathy Griffin at that yeah, point? Yeah, then Kathy Griffin emailed me in, 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 in her our ultimate uh, uh uh, uh, wonderfulness. She said, "You know, call me, you asshole. I want to talk to you." And I did call her, and uh, and then she told me, "Don't fuck around with Secret Service," and told me how she was on the no-fly list, and they banned all gigs all over. Have like, you flown since? Do you know if you're on the no-fly list? Uh, I've flown, yeah. Okay, good. It, you're it, good. Like, but Harvey Levin then got her banned out of clubs. Harvey Levin from TMZ, and uh, you know, it, it it was ugly for her. But I didn't do what she did. Right. You know, like they, I didn't fucking hold the fucking right. You know, a a severed head of Trump. But yeah. But um, yeah, you know, and then um, Elaine Boozler offered to pay my legal fees. Really? Yeah. Did you take her up on it? Nah, because I, I I didn't need any. Avenatti did it for free. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. like the little that he did. Yeah. And now are you guys buddies? Well, you know, I said that if he ever becomes president, I want to be, um, you know, his press secretary. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I like what he's doing. He's tearing down the administration. And yeah. that's, I mean, I think that's all, uh, as as Americans, that should be our our main focus. As you recall, when, when, when President Obama was elected, Mitch McConnell, the biggest douchebag in history, the fucking, you know, McTurtle came out and said, um, said uh, our our number one goal is to make sure Obama's a one-term president. I mean, you know, this is one month of Obama's presidency. I mean, how racist can you get? And and just, and if it, you know, we have people suffering in this country. That's your number one goal? It, it, it's beyond. Um, that just reminded me of something funny. So I, uh, a couple months ago, I went on uh, on iTunes to look at, like, a seat, because I'd ask people to rate me and write reviews. And I was feeling pretty good. I was getting five stars. I was getting really great reviews. And then you go down, you know, and then if you go all the way to the end, you can see the bad ones. Yeah. I only had a couple. And the best one was, keep your politics out of the podcast. That's not why we listen. <laughs> like, I will be as outspoken as I want to be. We are living in 
you know, the worst of times right now. I'm not going to be quiet about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, oh, you know what's interesting about Avenatti that I should say, because I know yes. you're in, this is a reality. Yeah, oh, God. Tell so, Avenatti to come on the podcast. No, no, no. This is what, this, <laughs> He'll go so, on any, he'll go to the opening of an invitation. So, so when Avenatti got me out of the Secret Service thing, he said, just do me a favor, John, don't do any more media, because we were booked right. to do a CNN show. That Avenatti just went and did on his own, yeah, sure and, he and did. fucking didn't even talk about me. That's the best. But Avenatti said, um, "Don't do any more shows because you don't want to poke the bear." Right. So then we came up with our own show, you know, poking the bear, and I signed a production deal. Oh yeah, I saw that in the book. Yeah, and this was a this is a show. Get this, this is a show where if you have a problem with a local politician or your electric company, your gas company, Stuttering John comes to the rescue, shows up in your town, and confronts these people. You know, on camera, and you know, gets and justice for you. Yeah, and tries and tries to solve the problem. What happens? This is this is Hollywood. We have a website. I've done plenty of podcasts soliciting people to call me to you know help to for the pilot or for the sizzle reel. Let me guess. Someone steals it. Daniel Tosh. Uh, what a fucker! He comes out with the exact same tweet. He, he almost like he copied same title. Not the title, but the exact premise, and puts it on his website. Wow. And I'm friendly with uh, Daniel's head writer, Nick Mouse, who used to work on the Stern Show. He was an intern. He's a Harvard Lampoon guy, you know? But, um, and I go, Nick, really? What the fuck, man? This was my show. And he goes, oh, no, it's a little different. I go, nah, it's... It sounds it sounds exactly like the show. Just it's fucking Hollywood. Is it happening? Is the show happening? Yeah, he's doing it on his show. Oh, he's doing a segment. Yeah, a segment. Uh, you could still, there might be room for yours as a well, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think it would be a great show. And I mean, I'd be better at it than Daniel Tosh. Anyway. Yeah, he. I can't stand him. Yeah. We well, said, he's an obnoxious. When he yeah. was on the, no, he's not know, a good guy. He, he's, 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 he goes into the realm of Chelsea Handler, who I... Oh, yeah, you bashed her too. She's yeah. not a nice person either. Yeah, and, so, I, and, I, and I really, well, you know, I think, the, I think one of the most juiciest things, the most juiciest, you know, one of the juiciest things in the book is the... Uh, is that my wife came up with the idea for keeping up yes. with the Kardashians? When you mentioned earlier the Ka- Dina Kaz, I said we have to get back to that. Yeah. So, so tell that story quickly. That's a variant because if I, don't, I, I know you probably don't listen to my podcast, but I'm going to make you now. Mm-hmm. I have three different interviews about how the Kardashians came to air. So now this will be in the in the in the uh, cannibal. What's ca- uh, this will be the fourth canon, the canon of okay. the Kardashians. Well, this is entirely true. Well, uh, when Bruce Jenner, you know, I, I became friends with him on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, even though I goofed on a mad nausea. <laughs> yeah. But I ended up sending him a bottle of Dom like I promised him I would, you know, after the show ended. And one day, that you know, my wife said, I saw Bruce and he lives like fucking within a mile from us. So so we started going over there like every Sunday and, and Chris would cook and, and, and we would hang out. This is before they were famous. And, you know, we came in Courtney and Chloe would be sitting by the pool in their bikinis and we'd be just hanging out, Bruce and I and everything. And at one point, Susanna, my, you know, wife at the time said, you know, Chris, you, you should, you, you know, you should do a show about your family like this. Just do a reality show about you and all the girls and, and you know, and Bruce and everything else. And, you know, you have people over or whatever. And Susanna would go over to Chris. Chris was like, that's a great idea. And and Susanna would go over to you know, Susanna, my ex-wife, you know, who who was my wife at the time, would go over to Chris's, and they would write the treatment for like two or three days straight. So, as they're getting ready to pitch and everything, Dina Katz is friendly with Ryan Seacrest. He calls Dina and says, "Do you have any shows for me?" She says, "Yeah, how about you know the, the, the Kardashians?" Yeah, that all happened. We know Ryan bites. He produces it. 
Chris does the show. We're on the pilot, Suzanne and I. Wow. And then Chris doesn't give her a credit. Did Susanna ask for credit? No, but you, well, no, you would assume, because we didn't know at that time when the, the pilot, after the show became a show, we, we assumed that she would that she would put her on staff. She didn't. And I said to Susanna, Susanna, fucking ask first. If not, you know, sue. And then Susanna was like, well, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the universe take care of it. And then, you know, and let's just face it, like I say in the book, they're all billionaires and I'm doing the chuckle hut, you know, in Illinois. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, where's so, the karma? We're, yeah. not, we're not getting that and, karma. And, you know, and, and one of the, the reasons. Chuckle hut. Because when, when we saw the first episode, you know, we were in, like invited to the episode screening. Susanna and I thought the show was so bad that we didn't think it would, it, it would go, bad, you know, you know, more than six episodes. All right, but, so we have to wrap man, up. Were we wrong? Well, you were wrong. So give us one juicy tidbit of gossip about the Kardashians that we don't know. Oh man, one tidbit. Well, you know that Kim, you know, caught Bruce uh, dressing up in her clothes. Old news, John. Okay, come and, on. All right, in my book, I told you know I talk about how uh, for one of the Christmas parties. A, a then eight and nine year old Kylie and Kendall get on top of the piano and do a burlesque show for all of us. And Chris Kardashian is looking with with glowing eyes as if she's just discovered the new two freakazoids of her family to exploit. Yeah. And I will also tell you that when Kim's porno was released, oh, you mean her sex tape? Her sex tape. <laughs> um, you know, although the, they were upset. Bruce and, and Chris, they didn't seem too upset. And I have a, I have a feeling that they had something with you it. You think that Chris leaked it? I think so. Yeah. Isn't that kind of like we know that? Or uh, no, she's never admitted we never, to Okay, she never admitted it. And I guess the other thing that was always kind of, uh, you know, funny to me was, well, well, you know that Bruce had wanted to come out a long time ago, but Chris wouldn't let him. But did you know that at the time? No. Okay. But when I asked him about his nose on I'm Celebrity, I said, you know, why'd you get a nose job? He said- I always thought my nose was too long, but it turns out because he wanted to look like a woman, right? And which he did, right. and, and and I guess I guess I guess like a funny Kardashian story is like, you know the you know Bruce and Chris would always say that we don't live in the past, and you know, <laughs> Chris's license plate is ten events. Their phone numbers end with 1976. Hilarious. And Bruce has a whole room dedicated to his limpers, including his trunks in there. I mean, I remember once asking to see his medal. He goes, "Oh, John, I don't like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like to show that." And then he like, he goes to get it, and then meanwhile, he's got a whole room dedicated to all his medals and everything else. I love it. Were you shocked when he became Caitlyn? Yeah, because he was the he was a staunch conservative. We would argue right. all the time about politics. Are you friends with Caitlyn? No, and you know it's weird because my oldest is transgender, and and I oh, would, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I would I would have thought. Right. That, you know that you know that does Bruce does sorry Caitlin know that yeah yeah oh but, and never reached out no that's so interesting no so last but not least and I don't know if you want to talk about this and if you don't I can cut it out but you don't really talk about the divorce in the book oh you could talk about it it wasn't anything there was no I was sad I was like well, I want a Hollywood ending that was like yeah that was just a, well we never a sweet you know story, there, there was no physical abuse there was no right. verbal abuse it wasn't anything other than you know the passion had died that was it I mean I. I you know, I mean, I I think she resented me because I neglected her as I as I followed, you know, my career path. She was mad at me that I didn't 
she didn't get the starring role in my movie, which I had promised, but but it wasn't my doing. The investors, they wanted someone more known who happened to be Bellamy Young from right. Scandal. Right, But I mean, you know, they, you know, we just kind of fell apart. We'd fight all the time. Just, Are you friends now? Or yeah, you, okay. yeah, totally amicable. I mean- Do you have a new girlfriend? I don't have a girlfriend, no. Okay. I, I'm, You're I'm single looking. and available. I'm single and available. I've, okay. I- I went crazy for a while when we right. got divorced. I, I went on a sexual rampage, <laughs> and I've I dated about hundreds wow. on Match and Tinder and all this and everywhere else and you know uh, Twitter and Facebook. But uh, now I'm looking for. I think I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm ready for a relationship again. All right. Well, it's out there in the universe now. So tell everyone again the name of your book. Easy and your for podcast. you to say. Easy for you to say. It's available on Amazon and it's available in stores everywhere. Also, uh, my podcast is a Stuttering John podcast. You could uh, follow me on Twitter at Stuttering John M, and my website is StutteringJohnMelendez.com. Well done. See, you just did your own plugs really, really <laughs> well. You could have done your own plugs. Yeah, I could have been an announcer. Exactly. <laughs> it was so great to have you. Thank right, you thanks, so much. Lisa. 